0: Janvi began her journey with Batia in 2021 as a speaker sharing her own lived experience with mental ill health at Batia at school and Batia at uni programs. She is now the lived experience engagement coordinator supporting speakers with sharing their own stories and lining up opportunities for speakers to share their lived experiences outside of Batia programs. Janvi is incredibly passionate about reducing the stigma surrounding mental ill health and encouraging young people to seek help should they want or need it. She truly believes in the importance of engagement and ongoing support when it comes to young people and helping provide them with tools to support their mental health long term. When not having conversations about mental health, you'll find Janvi with a book in her hand, basking in the sun like a lizard on a warm rock. She loves eating out with friends, taking naps and anything creative. And in fact, you'll often find her wearing jewellery she's made herself and she is well known for her funky sock collection. Janvi, welcome to The Power of Showing Up.
1: Thank you for having me. Lovely
0: to meet you. So let's talk about the organisation you work for, Beteer. Just explain what it offers and how it came about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Beteer is a for-purpose preventative mental health organisation and essentially it was created for and driven by young people. So it began uh, over 10 years ago in 2011 um, after our founder, Sebastian Robertson, experienced the frustration and isolation of living silently with mental ill health whilst at university. So he started this organisation organization by himself, uh, starting with one story, and now we have over a thousand storytellers sharing their own lived experiences. Essentially, we just recognized that it was time to have these open and honest conversations with one another, and a big uh, emphasis we put on um, in terms of sharing is peer-to-peer support.
0: Okay, and your role as lived experience engagement coordinator. Just explain what that entails.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, in terms of uh, our lived experience speakers, essentially, one of the, our biggest offerings is we share at programs at schools and at unis, um, and essentially, these programs are about educating young pe- educating young people about. Uh, supporting themselves and supporting others. Um, In terms of these programs, we always include a lived experience speaker who comes in and shares their own story um, with mental ill health or any struggles that they've had. So uh, my role is actually about coming in and making sure that there are more opportunities outside of these programs for young people to share their experiences. So it's just about lining up more opportunities, whether that's with the media or it could be about sharing experiences that lead to Uh, change in federal government levels or at state government levels, literally anything that just allows young people to have a voice.
0: So as your job title suggests, you have experienced poor mental health. Can we talk a bit about that? Can you divulge what your lived experience is?
1: Yes, absolutely. So, my uh, journey with mental ill health started at the age of 10 when I lost my father. Um, Since that age, I always felt like I didn't quite fit in, but when I hit around year eight, I started feeling quite lonely, quite isolated, and was struggling to do things that I would usually find quite enjoyable. So, I struggled with these feelings. I attempted to reach out for help, but it didn't go the way that I wanted, so I tended to kind of step back from reaching out. Um, And when I was in my second year, year of uni so a fair few years later I was finally diagnosed with uh, depression and anxiety um, and from that I began to receive help in the form of seeing a psychologist and also starting on antidepressant medication.
0: So when you say you reached out for help and it didn't go quite as you had hoped, would you mind just elaborating on that? Not not because we want to you know, offend anyone but because I think it's interesting and helpful for people to hear how you can reach out and it doesn't necessarily fit where you're at.
1: Absolutely. And I think now that I'm sharing these experiences with hindsight, I have a very different perspective on it. But at the time, I was in about year 11 or year 12, and I went to see my school counsellor. And I tried to tell her about how I was struggling with school, struggling to concentrate, feeling like I couldn't fall asleep, then when I did fall asleep, struggling to stay asleep, then not having any motivation to get up, um, feeling a lot of pressure from parents when it came to academics. Um, And in sharing all of this, her response, was, I completely understand you are going through a lot of changes at the moment, it is very normal for your age. And the way that I interpreted that at the time was, I'm really not special, I'm making a big deal of everything and I have no right to be asking for help when other people probably need it more. At this stage, I realised that it was a way to kind of show that I was not alone But at that moment, I think I was so deep into my head and deep into my thoughts and loneliness that I could not comprehend that um, other people were feeling this way as well.
0: It sounds to me like that school counsellor was a bit dismissive. Um, Explain how you felt walking away from that conversation. I imagine that that catapulted you into a whole new low.
1: Absolutely. I think I really struggled in terms of accepting the fact that other people could feel the way that I was feeling and I think what it came down to was this spiral that I went on of nobody will ever understand the position that I'm in because nobody has ever been through exactly what I've been through and I realise now that that's a matter of uh, nobody else will ever know everything you've been through but it's about that sense of relatability and understanding and empathy um, of one another that we understand we have Common factors that unite us and allow us to relate to one another in the struggles that we face. But in that time, it definitely did not go down well. I think I spiraled probably a bit further, thinking I'm always going to feel like this. This is completely normal. I guess I just have to
0: deal with it. Do you remember your lowest low? Do you remember a particularly dark period or experience or moment?
1: Yeah, absolutely. In uh, I remember I was in university and I had been having some struggles with some friends. And what had happened was um, I was feeling quite excluded by these friends. And I remember going home and on my way home feeling like I was crying the whole time and quite overwhelmed with um, exhaustion and emotion. And on my way home, knowing that nobody was at home, feeling really scared to actually just walk into my house and be left alone in my house. And uh, what I did at that time was I called my brother's partner of the time um, because she'd been through similar struggles to me in terms of we'd been diagnosed with um, the same illnesses. And I actually called her and asked her to come over. And I remember parking my car down the street from my house and not being able to drive any further, just being fearful of what I would do uh, to myself. And I remember coming home um, only when she was with me and feeling like she was watching me. And I think that was a really scary moment.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that because that is um – that is so helpful for people to hear that even at your lowest time, I guess you had the foresight to ensure that someone was there to prevent you from doing anything. Obviously, that would have been horrific. Um, what, when you, when you go back to that particular night, um, what would you like young people who are listening to this, who are perhaps also experiencing those really dark times, what would you like them to know?
1: I think that you share as much as you want to share. I think even if I had told that person, I just need you here right now, this is really important to me, they still would have come to my aid. And I think that you just need to find the people in your life that are there to do that for you. And also don't ever feel um, ignore your gut, I think is really important to me. I felt it in my gut that there was something wrong with me that night. And I made sure to follow that gut feeling because when it came down to it, I knew that I didn't necessarily want to harm myself, but I was just in a really poor headspace. And my thoughts were going against uh, what I, my thoughts were going, um, how do I phrase this? my automatic thoughts were very different to my filtered thoughts. Um, And that was just what I was feeling in that moment. And I had to sit down and reflect, Um, but that reflection time would take a little bit of time and that's completely normal. Um, So yeah. Just ask for help, I think, is, is really important. And I know that that can be really difficult to do when no one's offered help, especially as a young person. But I think just ask. There's no harm in asking.
0: And I think a lot of people feel, I don't want to burden someone. And obviously, you know, I want to talk to you about the stigma. There is still there is still a stigma attached to, to putting your hand up and saying, my mental health is not great. Um, what was it, do you think, that... Um, that on that particular occasion, prevented you from, as you say, pursuing any form of self-harm?
1: I think for me, what worked for me in that time was knowing that it would be hard on others if I did something to myself. And I think at that time, that was enough to get me through it. Now, I definitely look after myself a lot more and it's myself that I'm prioritizing to get me through those times. But back then, it was just my mom would be really upset if this happened. And that was enough to get me through that night.
0: Yeah, that's not uncommon. I think thinking of siblings or people close to you, um, that can be the thing that I guess stops you um so did you feel that that stigma i just mentioned uh, often attached to mental health did you was that an, an overriding thought for you as well um in terms of people um accepting where you were at
1: Yes, absolutely. And two things come to mind when I think of this. The first is just being a young person and the idea of seeing my school counsellor, like I mentioned earlier.
0: It takes a lot of courage to, to make that appointment and go and do that.
1: It was terrifying. And our process at our school was there are these little slips of paper attached to the door of the school counselor's office and you would add your details to it and slide it under the door and you would attempt to do it when no one was looking because you never wanted anyone to see it. And I remember how scary that was doing that, scared that someone would see me scared that someone see me walking in or walking out because I, I I feel like a bit of a spy walking out of the counsellor's office, kind of having a look around the hallway to make sure no one was there. Um, so that was definitely a huge sense of stigma attached to that. But also I think I battled a lot of cultural stigma. So in my culture, I, I find that mental health isn't even a taboo topic it often just doesn't exist. The conversation just doesn't exist. And I remember feeling as a young person that I was really worried what family and friends would say about this. We'd never had conversations about it. I was worried about what people would think In terms of my mum's reputation, even being a single mother, I was worried that people would think that she'd failed me. And I think I was just so, so concerned about what other people thought of me that I just kept quiet for as long as possible, which in the long run really harmed me. But um, yeah, that's how I felt at the time.
0: And for the sake of our listeners who can't see you, just explain what is your culture and is that typical within your culture for there to be less recognition of mental ill health?
1: Yes, so I am a Fiji Indian, born in Australia, and I definitely think that it is a huge cultural uh, stigma. I definitely think a lot of people who look like me and are like me face the same struggles.
0: That's interesting. Do you feel um, that that is improving? Obviously with people who look like you, the more they they talk about it, I'm sure it's breaking down barriers. What What's your observation? I definitely
1: think it's a generational thing as well. I think that in my going through these struggles, my mum has learnt a lot about how to talk about it, how to communicate with me. And I think that it'll just work its way down those generations like that. I know myself... Um, in particular, I will be so sure to open up those conversations to the generation below me because I know that they didn't have those conversations, and I can even give you a little situation that happened with my grandmother, who's no longer with us. Um, but she had no idea what depression was, and I remember going to her and telling her that I had been diagnosed with depression. And I explained it as something that was in my brain that made me feel a little bit numb to my emotions. And the best that she could do, which was absolutely amazing at the time, was she knew that almonds were good for the brain. So every time I met up with her, she would meet me with a bowl of almonds just saying, it's good for your brain, it'll make you feel better. And I remember thinking, the understanding of depression is so poor. Um, To be fair, my grandmother never finished, uh, never went to school past year six and that was just a cultural thing, but she was really, really trying her best. And I think that that's all that really matters.
0: It's actually a very beautiful gesture. She was trying in her own way to acknowledge that things weren't good and that was her way of 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 helping to find a solution.
1: Absolutely, I think it was really beautiful and I look upon that with very fond memories. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. So uh, you mentioned that you know you did ultimately seek out professional help and that was transformational in terms of getting the right medication and uh, no doubt having um, some counseling. I think you had some CBT. I Um, sure did. Yeah, so share with us what that involved and how – much of a difference that made.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the idea of reaching out for professional support was so terrifying because I genuinely thought I would just have to go and find my own psychologist. And that was just such a terrifying thought at, you know, 16, 17 years old. And I reached out to a friend who told me, no, you can actually just go to a GP. So I went to the GP I've been seeing since I was a baby and I was diagnosed, like I said, with depression and anxiety. I was given a prescription for my medication and uh, a referral to see a psychologist. And I remember at the time my GP asking, do you want someone who's more gentle or someone who's more straightforward? And I was instantly like, I want gentle, I want gentle, please. Um, and it paid off. I still see that psychologist to this day. I think CBT was so, so important to me in terms of reframing my thoughts. And like I mentioned, my automatic thoughts were quite different to my filtered thoughts. And I was thinking in a way that I couldn't follow the pattern of. So um, in terms of CBT, one of the biggest things that I worked on was the idea of catastrophizing. So anytime anything went wrong, I would think it was the end of the world and I would start to spiral. And slowly I've built up this toolkit that allows me to kind of think it over. And now when something goes wrong, I'm able to sit down and go, no, actually, what does this actually lead to? Genuinely, realistically, rather than thinking about all of the million possibilities that it could lead to. So yeah.
0: So that was incredibly effective for you. And we should point out CBT being cognitive behavioral therapy, um, which, um, do you know, I even Googled that last night just to see how accessible um, that sort of information is. And it's all there. Um, I mean, ultimately it's wonderful to go and speak to um, a a trained professional in the form of a psychologist or psychiatrist, but um, it's interesting that it is becoming so normalized now that you can Google these things and start to get a bit of an understanding of of how accessible help is.
1: Absolutely, and I think that having these conversations as well just opens up the idea that it is really, really accessible. I know that the reason why I reached out to my GP was because my best friend told me that she did the same and it did wonders for her, and I thought there's really no harm in trying. So I think, yeah, it's it's phenomenal how accessible this information is now.
0: In terms of breaking down that stigma, I mean you've talked about the the gaps you encountered being cultural, being a generational thing as well. Where, from your perspective now, do you see the remaining gaps? Where as a society could we do better to um, really smash that stigma that's still attached to mental illness?
1: Absolutely. I think that there's a lot more conversation to be had. I think nowadays, uh, sometimes mental illness or mental health can be a bit of a buzzword in that it can feel a bit performative. Uh, and what I mean by that is we say that we're really supportive of people, but sometimes actions don't quite follow those words. I think learning to communicate in a really healthy way is going to be a start to that in terms of Just figuring out what works for people, having a bit of empathy, opening up those conversations, not necessarily to have in that moment, but having a pathway to follow if you ever need to have that conversation in the future is really going to reduce that stigma. I think that the programs that we do at Batia as well Uh, really open up this um, beautiful conversation and allow young people to see themselves in other people, in their peers. And I remember even sharing in a program myself at school where I talked about how uh, mental health is just not talked about in my culture and seeing all these girls who look like me just nodding away and then looking at each other and going, oh, you're nodding too we are the same. We have this in common and allowing them to open up conversations with each other.
0: Oh, Janvi, that's just so wonderful. And it's so evident to me that you are brimming with so much enthusiasm and passion about this and wanting to, as you say, smash those stigmas and really listen and, and help young people. How do you maintain your mental well-being these days, day to day?
1: I find it so important to set myself up for the future. So what I mean by that is I think in the past I would've reacted quite, um, reacted quite reactively is a very poor way to say it, but um, kind of dealt with it as it came. Nowadays, I kind of put things in place in the future to allow myself to maintain um, a relatively stable mood. So by that, I mean, if I notice that there's a period of time coming up where I haven't made any plans with friends, I'll tee up some plans with friends. If I find that I'm coming up to a time when I have a really busy time at work and I know I'm going to be struggling through that, I'll make sure that I ask my mum to call me during that week so I don't have to reach out to her. So it's just about planning those things in advance. But I also think what, um, some of the really important things to me are still seeing my psychologist on a regular basis and setting myself up so I never miss my medication because I know that can really throw me off.
0: Okay, so you're very proactive. and I just wanted to touch on that, um, you know, you talked earlier about choosing a psychologist. I think it's so important for people to understand that you can, um, you can have an experience that just isn't right, that just doesn't feel right. It's a bit like choosing a GP. If you don't have that connection, that's okay. You move on and you find someone else. It doesn't necessarily mean there's anything wrong. It's just that you've got to, there's got to be a connection.
1: Absolutely. I think that you've got to feel safe and comfortable with the person that you're talking to. Otherwise, it's not just it's absolutely not going to go the way that you would have hoped. And I actually find similar things uh, when it comes to medication, which I'd love to share, which is that when I first got a prescription to an antidepressant, sorry, when I first got a prescription for an antidepressant, uh, it actually did the absolute opposite of what I'd hoped. And after three weeks, I was feeling more suicidal than I'd ever felt before. Um, and I was really struggling with that suicidal ideation. And so I had to jump off that. And I remember thinking, Oh no, medication just doesn't work for me. I'm so scared. And I went back to my GP and I said, no, I'm really determined though. I'm determined to find something that works for me. And the second medication I tried is the one that I'm still on to this day. And And now it's been, you know, four or five years. So I think that the same thing applies to medication as well, but you really, really just have to find what works for you and you have to be, you can't be too scared. I know it can be a really scary process, but the people around you who are supporting you, whether that's your doctors, your friends, your family are really trying to be there for you, trying their best. So I think we have to to compromise and meet in the middle and just try different things.
0: That is excellent advice. What I also wanted to ask you is, what would be your suggestion um, when there might be someone in your life who you suspect is struggling? Um, do you have any advice on how you broach that topic with someone, particularly a peer? You know, And I'm assuming we're, a lot of people listening to, to us are young people. How would you go about that if you had someone in your life who you thought needed some assistance?
1: I think you just need to approach it with a sense of empathy. You can't go in as if it's an interrogation, hoping that they'll give you answers straight away. There's no guarantee that you're the person that they want to talk to. There's no guarantee that they're ready to talk. I think just opening up with what you've seen in terms of their changes is really important. Making sure that you're in a safe environment, a private environment, and just saying, hey, I noticed you haven't been eating much recently. I just wanted to check in and make sure that that everything's all good. can be really, really a simple way to start those conversations, just noticing the differences, and that is usually what it is that signifies that something's not quite right. It is those differences. Hey, I noticed that you're not coming out with us as much. Is it because we're going to places that you don't want to go to, or is there something more going on? You don't need to share with me right now, but I just want to let you know that if you ever do want to talk, I am absolutely here for it. Just shoot me a text, mm-hmm. and even teeing up, you know. Uh, do you want to talk right now? No, I don't. Do you want to set up a time to talk later? Maybe they'll say yes, maybe they'll say no, but you know that you've tried and you know you've opened up this tunnel that they can come back through when they do want to come through.
0: Yeah, that, that makes enormous sense. So it's, it's saying I'm available when you're ready.
1: Absolutely. And I care. Yeah. And offering practical help is really important as well. I know that when I was going through really tough times, stuff like looking after myself, whether it was keeping a clean room or doing my dishes was really tough. And so when my friends would come over and just fold clothes with me, I felt so supported.
0: Oh, I love that. <laughs> it was it a really something wholesome as, experience. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just something as simple as that. It's being together. And, and as you say, perhaps decluttering, which is always helpful. Janvi, you'd be familiar with rays. Um, Talk to me about mentors in your life. Have there been people who have been sort of regular touchstones for you or where does that sit?
1: Yes, absolutely. I think um, the friend that I mentioned earlier who recommended that I go to the GP is one of the most important people in my life. And the reason why I reached out was because she herself was so, so open about seeing Her own psychologist, I remember she used to go, oh, I'm gonna see Liv today. And it took me about six months to realize that Liv was actually a therapist. Um, But she talked about it so openly, about that, about taking medication. And I think her opening up allowed me to open up and be who I am here today. And she's still very much a huge support in my life. One of the first people I go to when I need someone to talk to, but also I really love that she prioritizes herself and she does it when she's in a space to be able to listen to what I'm sharing um, with her as well. So I think we have this really beautiful, um, we look after ourselves first, but we definitely still look after each other and we do it in a way that's really safe and healthy for both of us.
0: How wonderful. Well, thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself, your lived experience with us today. Um, as I say, you are just brimming with, um, with excitement and um, clearly a strong desire to help other young people who have experienced um, ill mental health. So thank you so much for talking to us today, Janvi. It's been a great pleasure.
1: Thank you for having me.